0: news story this week crossed my timeline. There's sinkholes in uh, Pennsylvania. And then I I got interested in sinkholes. You know how it is. You chase one, you chase. And it turns out we live in this part of the U.S. is kind of sinkhole country. By the way, I'm not asking you to worry about sinkholes. All right. If you're not thinking too much about them, you're probably thinking just enough. But they are interesting. And uh, I came across with our connection to Guatemala. There was a photograph of a sinkhole a few years back in Guatemala City. There it is. Actual picture, sinkhole in the middle of Guatemala City after a tropical storm, uh, this sinkhole 300 feet deep, bam, suddenly opened up, swallowed up a bunch of telephone poles, swallowed up a three-story factory. Unfortunately, a security guard uh, also was swallowed up in that sinkhole. But it's a scary thing because look at that and how quickly it happens. And I was thinking about, sinkholes, the sudden collapse, the everything is fine and beautiful and stable, apparently. One moment, and then the next, you know, that. And I thought about our spiritual lives. In the Dear Lord series, we're talking about our prayer lives in particular. How are you doing communicating with the Lord? And by the way, I'll just tell you, my job is not to tell you new things, okay? I'm here to remind you, generally speaking, of what you already know. And so I hope that you hear these messages on prayer and it's not like, oh, I've heard that before. I hope it's, it's more like I needed to hear that again, All right. And so we're talking about prayer, the strong center of our spiritual lives. Prayer, this, this fellowship with God that holds our lives up, that sustains us. And when that connection with the Lord grows weak, Connection with our Maker, with our Redeemer, with our Father, with our Savior. When that's weak, there is potential for collapse in all sorts of areas of our lives. Uh, Appearances may be great and look fine, but on the inside, if there's weakness in that Primary relationship, not the one with my spouse, not the one with my best friend or my boss. Primary relationship, my relationship with God. When that one is weak, there's a danger for a spiritual sinkhole in my life. Um, And so, there's a lot to this this inner life that we're talking about. Uh, When I ignore that relationship with the Lord, when I ignore past hurts, when I ignore habitual sins, when I ignore addictions, when I ignore my own character flaws, I do that at great risk. Because on the ground level, everything may look fine, but underneath it may be weak. Our soil and rocks in Texas are especially vulnerable to this kind of weakness if they get saturated with rain. Uh, And there is danger in our spiritual lives when we lose touch with God, our spiritual core. By the way, this illustration of the sinkhole, very similar to one Jesus used. He used this metaphor to describe uh, the religious elite of the day, God's kind of honor roll, like the valedictorians of of the Jewish elite, uh, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Remember what he called them in Matthew 23? He called them a lot of things, honestly. But one of the things he called them was white, washed, Tombs. Ah, beautiful marble. Oh, my goodness. Just pristine on the outside, on the surface. Underneath, rotten. Underneath, there's weakness. There's disease. He said in Matthew 23, outwardly, you what? You appear righteous to others. But within, underneath the surface, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he warns about this preoccupation. And a lot of us have a natural tendency to this. I'm going to include myself here. A A natural preoccupation with externals, with what other people think. With how we are viewed, he says there's a problem with that preoccupation because it's easy to develop a weakness within and ignore the inner life. Um, Jesus, by the way, had this, I, I don't this is the understatement of the year, this incredible inner life. Think about Jesus for a second. The stories you know. I mean, what a turbulent existence. Suffered violence and injustice and betrayal. Was rejected by the people he came to save. But what an amazing strength and peace. I mean like no other. Henry Drummond wrote this about Jesus Christ's life. Outwardly was one of the most troubled lives that was ever lived Tempest and tumult, tumult and tempest, the waves breaking over it all the time, but the inner life was a sea of glass. A great calm was always there. And then there's the whole thing about Jesus' miracles, right? Nothing attracted an audience like Jesus' healing, or Jesus casting out a demon. I think of the time when Jesus took a boy's lunch and fed thousands of people to the overflow out of that lunch miraculously. I think of Jesus raising the dead. Jesus had this amazing life that you could watch from the outside and be dazzled. And so many people were, the crowds were impressed with Jesus. But with his inner circle, with those 12 who traveled with him, he revealed something else that impressed them deeply. The inner life. Was what powered that dazzling, jaw dropping outer life, the inner life. Luke 5 16. They noticed how Jesus withdrew often to pray. Translation Jesus was always getting alone to be with the Father. And so they knew that this carpenter from Nazareth, their rabbi, their teacher, who had launched this world changing ministry, they knew that the inner life was key. His inner circle knew that Jesus started his ministry not with a giant big tent revival, but he started his ministry by getting all alone for 40 days. To connect with the Father. That was the power source. Those closest to Jesus saw this that he was intentionally and consistently withdrawing, getting alone in order to be with the Father. Now, a casual observer might say, I'm just gonna be honest, might look at that and go, What a waste of time and talent! Think of how many more people he could have healed. Think of how many more bread and fishes he could have multiplied to deal with world hunger. Why is he wasting his time getting all alone and praying? Because it sourced his message. It sourced his ministry. It sourced his miracles. Now, here's an idea I want to put out there. Because I think Jesus models one approach to spirituality where we see a different approach modeled a lot. He certainly did in his day and time. It's kind of, and I've used this before, willpower versus still power. Willpower is a very common approach to religion and to faith. It's, if it is to be, it is up to me. right? I need to turn my life around. If there's weakness, if there's struggle, I just need to try harder. And of course I pray because when I can't quite get there, I call in a little air support from heaven. God, I need just a little help to, to cross the line, to fill my tank up. That is not the way Jesus operated. He did not operate based on willpower, but rather based on still power. On getting quiet and alone. <laughs> And connecting with God. He modeled this day to day. He was strong because he spent all of this time with the Father. Um, Look, a willpower prayer asks God, help me with my project. Help me with this ministry. Provide me strength for this task I have. Uh, Come and and energize my agenda. A still power prayer says, not my will but thine be done. Right? Right? A willpower prayer invites God to join my team and my flurry of activity this week. A still power prayer accepts his invitation to join his agenda. I hope you see the difference. Jesus was all about the still power, putting God in the driver's seat, the Father, and taking himself out humbly as a servant. And this is not a new theme in Scripture, is it? Psalm forty six ten. I'm sure you've heard this one before. Be still, be still, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm thirty seven seven. I love this one. Ah, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Oh, how I need to do that more in my life. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their weak wicked schemes. That's an outgrowth of that still power life. I don't have to worry as much. I know God's in control. And then Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. <laughs> you need only to be still. Let God do the heavy lifting. Rely on his strength. And it's not pas- passivity, right? Still power is not, I am deciding from this day forward to do absolutely nothing. That's not what it is. It is resting on what matters most. It is being preoccupied, concerned with what is below the surface with the inner life and my connection to God. That's what it is. It is a Anyway, we're going to spend some time unpacking this because Jesus Matthew chapter 6 Jesus shares a warning over and over, repeated warning about some dangers in our spiritual lives when we get this messed up, when we take the wrong approach. He's also going to share some very like practical things that you can do or start doing if you're not already doing them. Let's start with the big danger sign. Like over that giant sinkhole, I'm hoping they very quickly put up some yellow tape or something or, or some signs warning people not to ride their bike in there or step off into that. So here is this Warning sign that Jesus places, he says, do not make your faith story a performance for others to admire. I have this a little bit later in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and do this because there's a word that keeps popping up in chapter 6. Uh, in English, it's hypocrites. Hypocrites, right? That word in Greek is very interesting. Hippocrates. It is the same word for a play actor. Three, think, you know, three, two, one, action! Now the performance begins. Think uh, Oscars. Think Emmys and Tonys. Think a performance for others to see. Jesus is going to say over and over, don't be a play actor. Don't be performance oriented in terms of your inner life, your spiritual walk. He says in Matthew 6 verse 1, beware, danger sign, (laughs) beware of practicing your righteousness before people, motivation, in order to be seen by them. For then, and this is scary, right? You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I'll confess, I have a particularly dangerous job. John Scott, you have a dangerous job. You stand up front, you have a microphone, uh, you get to share scriptures with people, and it's very easy to try to perform on the outside, right? Without, like, if I don't have a... If my relationship with God is nothing more than what you guys hear and see on Sunday mornings, we are all in trouble. And so it is a bit of a, it is a, bit of a dangerous job that we have. Um, and he gives examples of how this is a danger, not just for preachers, not just for public leaders of worship, but he gives examples for all of us. Like he says in verse 2, um, giving to the needy. Giving to the needy, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's definitely a good thing. But Jesus says, be careful. Another warning sign, be careful about your gifts to the needy because there were people in the first century, and eh, maybe there are some today, who make these donations in order to get recognition in order to have a building named after them, or their name somewhere, or an article written about them, or a tweet tweeted about them. Look at what a good guy Tom over here is. Look at how generous Barbara is. There were people who... They operated for that, and Jesus says that is a very dangerous thing to do. Like, would they be helping the needy if it was totally confidential? If no one, even the right hand didn't know what the left was doing? Eh, probably not. Probably not. So he uses that word, Hippocrates there. They are play actors, play actors. And he says they could lose their reward. In heaven, because their spirituality is designed for the wrong audience. It's not between them and God, it's between them and the general public. The next one he gives, the next example of this that he gives is, (laughs) this is interesting, involves those who pray publicly those who get up front to do the talking and the praying, uh, these are folks who would have been known to Jesus and the apostles. There were flowery prayers. There were eloquent prayers. There were beautiful words. There were long prayers. And Jesus said in verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like a play actor, like a hypocrite." For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, public worship settings, and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. There's that phrase, that they may be seen by others. This is an issue of motivation. This is not Jesus condemning public prayer, right? Jesus spent a lot of time we've talked about this We're regularly being in the house of the Lord on the day of worship in the synagogue in the temple courts that was a regular thing so this is not a condemnation of public prayer Um, it is a condemnation of praying to be noticed. A praying where the audience really isn't God. You may say our Heavenly Father or dear Lord, but it's really the group that's listening to you. He says that's dangerous. You are a play actor instead of a child urgently crying out to Father. Next example, fasting. I wish this were more relevant today. I'm afraid we don't do a lot of fasting. We need to do more of this. But fasting, so abstaining generally, abstaining from something generally food in order to focus on God and spend intentional extra focus time in prayer. It could be something other than food, but it was generally food. Today, it still is generally food. Only in that time and place, some people wanted to make sure that everybody knew, I'm fasting this week. All right? They would like mess up their hair and kind of walk around like, that. what's wrong? Well, you know, I'm fasting. I'm I'm spending extra time with the Lord this week. And he's like, they are acting. You know, give them their golden trophy. (laughs) I mean, that's not real. That's not legitimate. That comes from a place of pride, not humility, verse 16. And then he gives us the bottom line there in Matthew chapter 6. The bottom line is this, make time for the Lord. Make time for for you and the Lord to meet together. We make time for things that matter to us. We make time to, to eat breakfast or lunch. We make time to read a bedtime story with the kids. Uh, we make time to go to the bank and, and make a deposit or, or do that online. Uh, we make time to check the Instagram feed. We make time for things that matter to us. Make time for the Lord because nothing matters more to you. Underneath the surface, at your core, nothing matters more than you connecting with your Redeemer, your Savior, your Father, your Creator. Jesus in verse 5 uses this phrase when you pray. So, okay, it's not if you pray. It's, you know, when you pray, this is a normal thing. This is a routine thing. He says, verse 5, when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. When you pray. So if a prayer life falls into neglect, the whole life can fall into unstable territory. The surface of things, yes, may look great. Shiny family, career advancement, growing bank account, but the inner life is growing weak and that is dangerous. So Jesus says, pray regularly. Um, So I've got a bunch of stuff here about my prayer time. I'm going to skip all of that because that's my prayer time. I'm going to leave that out of the sermon. I have a lot of different kinds. I'll just say this. I have big prayers. I have little prayers. uh, Prayers as I step out of bed in the morning. uh, More extended prayer times at different times in the week. But that is between me and God. I hope you have some times with God as well that are just yours and that are special and that no one else even needs to know about. Which gets us to the next thing Jesus talks about. Very interesting. Instead of play acting, Jesus says, pray privately. That's what he talks about in Matthew chapter 6. It's a big deal to Jesus. It was a big deal that he lived out. Pray privately. Clearly a source of strength and stability in his life. He knew he needed to get alone with the Father, and so do we. Sunday morning worship is great, right? Uh, synagogue time or temple time for Jesus was great but getting alone with the father nourished him and built up his core and that is one of the keys that Matthew chapter 6 is based on and yeah I know this morning we've prayed we had an opening prayer we had a couple of communion prayers we were talking to our father we had a prayer of the good works of this church some of the songs that we sang this morning were in fact prayers so I'm all prayed up this week no not at all It's great that we prayed. You need to be praying to your Father in secret, in private. Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, listen to this. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. In other words, get alone with God. And don't make a big deal out of it. It's you and the Father. Sure, there will be moments where people will see your faith. I mean, there should be moments when you are a light on a hill. When you're not hiding your light under a bushel and all of that. Uh, there should be many more moments that are hidden. That are harder to detect. Because you're spending time with Father, Son, Spirit. The next thing Jesus talks about is to pray expectantly. That means when we pray, do we expect God to act or not? I'm going to venture. I'm going to hazard a guess here. If you pray and you don't believe that God hears you or that God actually answers prayers, I'm going to guess you don't pray very much. Because I don't really know how much motivation you're going to have there. We pray expectantly. He says in verse 6 and then in verse 8, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. He hears, he moves, he dispenses resources and strength. He changes attitudes and mindsets and situations. He works in reality in real time because your Father knows what you need. Jesus' life demonstrated that power and love flow out of an inner life of prayer. He taught us that we need need to spend time with the Father in prayer because God gave us life. He sustains every breath that you take. The hundreds, thousands of breaths that you have breathed already today, God gave you that air to breathe. He sent Jesus to show you how much He loves you. Jesus died for you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that the Spirit of God could dwell within you, so that you could have a promise of eternal life. Every cell in your body cries out for the Father. And we have this incredible access to him. I mean, Hebrews 4.16 says, We approach the throne of grace with, anybody know the next word? Confidence. How about that? That's the teaching of the word of God. We approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that, the rest of the verse says, so that we might find grace or mercy in our time of need. I don't know about you, I got some times of need. And thankfully, I can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence because Jesus has opened that way for us. One more warning, we're going to finish up here. One more warning, and this, this goes to what Jesus was teaching about the importance of the inner life, And not as much the outer life. Um, There are a lot of forces out there that will take you down. And it is so easy and so tempting to just point out, oh boy, that and that, look at that. I saw that on the news the other day. I can't believe that's going on. We really need to be more concerned with what's in here in our own hearts. John Owen was a theologian, lived in the 1600s, a time when probably the most impressive thing you would see in England would have been castles. And so he uses this other metaphor of the castle to talk to us about the inner life. John Owen said this, However strong a castle may be, if a treacherous party resides inside ready to betray (laughs) at the first opportunity possible the castle cannot be safe from the enemy traitors occupy our own hearts ready to side with every temptation and to surrender to them all amen to that do you feel that's true in your heart I do Traitors reside in here. Be careful. Be careful. And that's one of the reasons Jesus tells us we can't simply worry or we shouldn't simply worry or mostly worry about what everyone else thinks. We need to worry about our relationship to Lord and those traitors, those, those persistent sins that still try to take us down. It may look like you've got it all figured out. Hmm. It may look good on the outside to everyone around you. There's some success. Maybe you're enjoying a season of health right now, prosperity, beautiful family, you know, blossoming career, but there are traitors within these walls. So just be aware. Be aware of that. You need intimacy with God. For the Spirit to speak and label and point to those potential spiritual sinkholes. Uh, And unless we pause to spend time with the Lord, we may be walking around blissfully unaware of the pitfalls in front of us. This morning, I just want to finish with one more thing. Maybe it's time to lower the drawbridge and invite the conquering Savior Jesus into your heart and truly raise the white flag of surrender and proclaim him as your Lord. You can do that today and I want to invite you to do that today. Perhaps what remains is for you to be baptized in the name of Jesus. We'd love to help you with that as well.